according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again this morning in Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, we were looking at generosity last week, verse 9. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Today we'll move on to verses 10, 11, 12, 13. We'll see how far we get. Drive out the scoffer and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. So we get to learn how to throw people out of here. Maybe we can illustrate. We can, uh, someone can volunteer. All right, well let's open with a word of prayer and commit our time for the glory of Jesus Christ, shall we pray? Holy Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your faithfulness, thankful for your truth, thankful for the opportunity that we have to assemble together and to receive instruction. We commit our time to you now for the glory of Jesus Christ, asking that you would hedge us about and protect us, hinder anyone that would want to come in here and stop what we're teaching or bring us to harm. We just thank you and praise you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I tell you, the hedge is being lowered and our nation is seeing it, our city is seeing it. So just... uh, Keep that in prayer as well. My microphone is loose. Clip came off. All right. Now we should be good. All right, so Proverbs 22. And uh, let me see what slide we're looking at here. We've covered quite a bit already. Looking at the attachments with the uh, issue there, looking at sowing and reaping. The fundamental element of God's design for a volitional moral existence. Understand volitional moral existence. That, that only includes angels and human beings. Angelity and humanity, those are the only two realms of creation that God has vested with volitional capacity and therefore moral accountability. So uh, dogs and cats, your pets, animals, plants, any of that, you know, rocks, none of that, those aren't moral realms of existence. Uh, The animal is not moral or immoral when it kills and when it eats, it's just an animal. It has an animal existence and not a volitional or, or a moral question involved. But angels and humanity, those are the two realms that the Bible describes with uh, volitional capacity and moral accountability. And that is we reap what we sow. And so we make decisions and we face consequences of those decisions. And humans more so than angels. Why do I say that? Because humanity is actually in the image of God. So that puts it a step above the angels as far as the moral accountability is concerned. But both angels and humans have uh, volitional uh, accountability. And so these principles of sowing and reaping and in the passages that we have there, we saw starting in uh, Proverbs 22.8, he who sows iniquity will reap vanity and the rod of his fury will perish. And so we went through the uh, sowing and reaping passages centered on that. Then we looked at the generosity principles under subpoint H. Blessed generosity is described by the Hebrew idiom of a good eye. We want to have a good eye. In fact, there's a couple of eye idiomatic expressions that are coming up here because 
we have the generosity in verse 9, but then we have God's omniscience in verse 12, where the eyes uh, of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the treacherous man. And so we'll deal with, of course, God's eyes are everywhere because he's omnipresent. He's also uh, omniscient. He has eyes that look upon uh, not just what's happening, but what we're thinking, what we're planning, what might happen, and uh, all the elements of God's omniscience. In fact, in some recent discussions with folks, it struck me that it's been a while since we've taught the doctrine of omniscience, and it's useful to understand how God knows everything, and everything is more than you think it is. Because it's not only everything that it is, but it's everything that might be if something else happens first. All of the contingencies, all of the what-ifs. And if this other thing happens, how does that change this happening and circumstances there? So perhaps uh, we'll have an opportunity to delve into that in uh, Proverbs or in Genesis or or who knows. It may come up in, in other classes, maybe even in Philemon with the potential that uh, of of restoring Onesimus the runaway slave, or the potential of not restoring Onesimus the runaway slave, and so uh, there's there's different uh, lines of you know what science fiction likes to write about with parallel universes and what if scenarios and whatnot. Um, that's very real, actually, not just as a a matter of of imagination and and whatnot, but just as a as a matter of reality. What is reality, and what might alternative realities be like if alternative decisions get made. See, well God's got all that covered and the Bible talks about it that God knows every what if and He knows the outcome. He even knows the outcome and the alternative history for thousands of years down that path if humanity goes down that path. See, so it's, uh, it's mind-boggling. But we have these, these various idioms and the one in verse 9 talks about a good eye and it speaks of the generous. He who is generous will be blessed, will be happy. The Asherah principle that we have, this is why Asher was named Asher when he was born, because his mother thought that, uh, that it would be a happiness trigger for her. And uh, uh, the name Asher speaks of happiness, and that's what we have here. And it's the happiness of identifying with God's blessings. Different words for blessings, uh, in the Beatitudes, it's when Jesus says, blessed are, is happy are, happy are. And we can recognize the personal sense of happiness that comes about when a believer is oriented to the, the plan of God. And so we have happiness. It is more blessed, it is more happy to give than to receive. And so uh, we ran out of time with us last week, and I don't recall how many of these we looked at, so we can run through them again real quickly. And then we can move on to points I and J, which really want to be the uh, and then K and L if we really get that far. But we'll see uh, we'll see how far we get with it here this morning. All right. So he who is generous will be blessed. We had a principle for this earlier in Proverbs. You might remember in Proverbs eleven twenty five, as far as lending to the Lord, other elements there as well. The generous man will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. And so understand what the poetry is doing here. It's equating generosity with a metaphor of watering. All right. And so let's understand that our role in our generosity towards one another is using the the watering metaphor and not worrying about watering ourselves. We're watering others. And we're not selfish in our outlook with this respect because God takes it upon Himself to reward our generosity, that we will be watered, that God takes care of that. So he who waters will himself 
be watered. And that's the first principle of, of generosity is that we're not looking after ourselves. We're in God's hands. We're looking out for others because this is what makes us uh, an imitator of Jesus Christ. This is what makes us uh, a fellow worker with God the Father in, uh, in these applications. Proverbs 19.17 This is the one where we're lending to the Lord. He who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. And, uh, and we just accept this for what it is. And some, it's, it's difficult, I admit. It's difficult. And the idea, because when you become a lender, as we were studying not long ago, when you become a lender and somebody becomes a borrower, that creates a dependency. That's a joint venture. That actually connects people together. Remember the language of Levi that speaks about joining. It joins two parties together so long as that buyer-lender dynamic is, uh, is, op- you know, is operational. And this says, if you're gracious to a poor man, God counts that as if he himself is now the borrower. That you are lending to the Lord because you are gracious to the poor man. And it says, he will repay him for his good deed. He will repay him for his, and it might even be the good eye there, the same idiom. No, it's not. Different idiom. Okay. Will repay him for his good deeds or his benefits. So God himself takes upon himself the obligation to repay. You are being gracious and God, the God of grace, puts himself into the repayment mode to honor that, to honor that attitude, that spirit, that, that um, process that brings glory to Jesus Christ and brings good pleasure to God the Father. Then in, uh, of course, 21.13, He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. So this is the opposite of generosity. Rather than having the eye that's looking for opportunities or the ear that's listening for opportunities, you actually stuff your ears you know, with your fingers or whatever else and you, uh, you act like you don't hear. You act like you can't hear. And, uh, and that's just the, the attitude of the opposite of generosity. Right? It's the Scrooge, the Scrooge mentality and that you're hoarding and that you're selfish and that you don't care about the misfortune of others. You know, they can just die sooner and decrease the surplus population as far as you're concerned. And, and uh, well, the consequences for that being, okay, that was a Scrooge quote in case you didn't pick up on that. The, uh, the uh, consequences are God himself then sticks his fingers in his ears. He himself does not hear when you're crying out, when it, when it comes to you, see, because this is what happens any time a believer goes carnal. God's not going to hear your cry when you're carnal. And um, those are the, the consequences that happen there. And God uses those opportunities. He very frequently crafts the divine discipline consequences so that it teaches us it, what, what it is that we're being punished for. <laughs> okay? And so when it seems like God's not hearing our cry, then that's the divine discipline that wakes us up to the fact that, oh yeah, I closed my ears to the cry of the needy, didn't I? And that's my, that's my wake-up call. That's my instruction, the remedial instruction. The remedial instruction that's designed to, to teach us the lessons that we should have learned in fellowship. Of course, this is encoded in Mosaic Law, written into the text of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 11 if there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers in any of your towns in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. 
And keep in mind, this is the same language as when, you, when you're hardening your heart to the Word of God, when you're hardening your heart to doctrine, that uh, your heart is hardened not only towards God but towards your brother. Nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him. In other words, unharden your heart. You shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. And it might be because of his, his poverty, it might be because of his, um, maybe his, his uh, shame or whatever embarrassment that he has or whatever. It may be that he has a need and he's not actually asking you for everything that he needs. He's just asking you for a smaller amount. He's asking you for something to maybe scrape by with. And, uh, and, and yet your principle in generosity is not to generously lend him exactly what he's asking for, the bare minimum, but to generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Not whatever he asks, but whatever he lacks. And I think there's a real difference in that. And then beware that there's no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year of the year of remission is near. Because there's other procedures whereby debts were forgiven uh, in the Sabbath year and in the Jubilee year. And so don't be, uh, it's, it's called a base thought. It's, it's crafty thinking. It's, it's uh, a worldly approach that is trying to consider, well, wait a minute here. Why would I loan to him? Because uh, it's not going to get paid back. He's going to have the free get out of debt uh, free card the next year and, and then I'm going to suffer. Say, no, when you obey the plan of God you're not going to suffer. So your eye is hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he may cry out to the Lord against you and it'll be a sin in you. So you're carnal in those circumstances. I think we understand that. Alright. Verses 10 and 11, wrap this up. You shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Remember it's not grudgingly or under compulsion. God loves the cheerful giver. So don't be grieved as you're grumbling and mumbling over the, the loan that your brother needs in, in year six right before the, uh, the, the Sabbath year. Because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you saying you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and to the poor in your land. In other words, if it's not this guy, it would have been somebody else. There's always somebody in every calendar year that's going to be struggling. And so that means every, uh, you know, every, every time the, the year prior to the, to the Sabbath year comes up, somebody's going to be having a difficulty that year. So who are you going to help? If you're willing to help people the other five years, do you take a year off from being generous? See, that's the point. We should be generous every year. All six years we should be generous during the Sabbath year. We should be generous all the time. And the poor you will have with you always. Didn't Jesus quote that? The poor you will have with you always. And it's only a satanic lie that believes that they can create just the right utopia policy whereby nobody will ever be poor. Okay? Understand what it is. You know, I believe we're going to have poor even in the millennium. Even with perfect environment, with perfect government, we're still going to have sinners on this earth. And as long as you have sinners on this earth, human beings making bad decisions, there's going to be consequences for those bad decisions. Consequences for sin. There will be poor in the millennium. Alright. Otherwise Jesus is a liar when he said the poor you will have with you always. 
even gets to the point of slavery. Now that's an issue that we don't have today. When you get to verses 12 and following, if you're a kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman is sold to you. I mean, that is the, the utter destitution where um, you don't even own yourself anymore and you have to sell yourself into somebody else's uh, ownership for, for their labor, for their benefit, just so that you can survive and recover. Again, that's a procedure we no longer have as our nation has abolished slavery, and I'm not advocating bringing it back, just to be clear. <laughs> and so it goes on. Acts 20.35, the statement of Jesus, it is more happy to give than to receive. And this is, uh, goes great with our proverb this morning because when you're lending, when you're generous, you are happy. And that generous spirit then, you know, as, as Jesus agreed, is connected to the happiness of Proverbs 22.9. He who is generous will be happy. Just as Jesus said, uh, it is more happy to give than to receive. And uh, not surprising that it's a follow-up to the uh, sowing and reaping principles as we have them. This is connected to grace giving. This is connected to the principles of generosity. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So in your grace giving, are you generous or are you stingy? And how do, how do you appreciate the grace principles? And how do you uh, want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you want to honor the Father's gift that God so loved the world that He gave? Was God giving gener- uh, generously or was God giving you know, bountifully? Or was God giving uh, 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 sparingly? Well clearly when God gave Jesus Christ He wasn't giving sparingly. He was giving bountifully. He was giving an infinite price as an infinite sacrifice. And so for me to then reflect that with something stingy, with something cheap or sparingly or something that I'm grudging over or regretting or, or um, you know, with any improper attitude is an insult to the grace of God. And it's, uh, it's trampling underfoot the grace of God. Each must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. That's what honors Him. That's what glorifies Jesus Christ. That's what pleases the Father. That's what's empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not motivating your sparing, grudging, compulsive uh, compulsion giving. It's, it's something else. It's a different spirit that's motivating that. God loves the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having Uh, all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You understand the totality adjectives and adverbs and expressions that are in that verse? God is able to make all grace abound so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. There's like seven of them in there. That's a whole lot of wealth. That's a whole lot of grace. And God just pours and pours and pours and pours again. But the objects of His grace ought to be conduits, ought to be reflections of that grace. And if you're going to be a legalist, or you're going to be stingy, or you're going to be carnal, you're going to be, um, you're going to be uh, walking in darkness, if you're going to be uh, manipulative, using your financial contributions as a control factor or a wedge, or a, you're expecting a payback or, or some kind of a thing, well, <laughs> it'll be payback all right, because God's judgment's coming your way. 
You may have an abundance for every good deed. You're not going to suffer for your grace. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He will supply and multiply. Now it's not a gimmick and it's not legalism and it's not phony and it's not um, a, a magical spell. It's not a name it and claim it prosperity theology insanity. All right, you can't you can't uh, act like you now have control over God because you gave a certain amount. Now you're expecting Him to to return back sevenfold or whatever, and then hold Him, blame Him when He doesn't. This is the principle, and we live under the principle of grace. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality with uh, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. And, and if, you're, if you're the conduit of financial grace, you may be the recipient of a different form of grace. Don't think that what, when it gets multiplied and returned to you that it's going to be financial when it's returned to you. It could be a different form of grace when it's returned to you. Because your brother or your sister that has an abundance in other areas where you're lacking he may be gracious towards you in those areas. And so the grace comes back to you in all these other capacities whereby, and it may not be financial, but whereby you have a poverty in those other realms. And so the the grace in those other realms comes to you, just not the financial realm. Does that make sense? All right. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs through the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. And so um, we have a chorus, a thanksgiving chorus. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will all glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. This is where it's good to be a liberal. In the grace of God. Okay. Well, they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. It's an amazing blessing, and this is the one thing Satan cannot. He has he counterfeits everything he can he can, but grace is something he can't counterfeit. So instead, he just perverts. Instead, he just twists. Instead, he just replaces it with legalism and and guilt and religion and everything else because there's no counterfeit for grace. All he can do is pervert it and replace it with these uh, satanic perversions. All right, so we can appreciate that. Back to Proverbs then. He who is generous will be happy. <laughs> you know, and we're surrounded by people. We're surrounded by miserable people desperately seeking everything in the world they can, that they think is going to make them happy absolutely in this frantic inveterate search for happiness and they're not finding it anywhere and the Bible gives all kinds of recipes for happiness. <laughs> you know, including generosity. That's only one out of all kinds of opportunities for happiness. So just do a word study on Asherah and then find everywhere it's used in, in the Old Testament and there's, a, there's an outline for you on uh, you know, the, the instant recipe for happiness. Everything the Bible says, Asherah is the man, well then pursue that. And you'll find God's provision for personal happiness. All right, we get to verse 10 then. Drive him out. 
Drive him out. Drive out the scoffer. Drive out the scoffer. Get him out of here. And contention will go out. Guess what? There's a benefit. (laughs) Drive out the scoffer and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. You'll have the obvious benefit and then you'll have additional benefits and you go, oh wow, I didn't realize. That was also an element. Oh yeah, I didn't realize. We also had some of that going on. See, you just wanted the contention to stop. So you drove out the scoffer and sure enough the contention stopped. But it doesn't stop there. Because even strife and dishonor will cease. There were other tentacles that were spreading. There was other damage that was being done in the corporate body. Drive them out. This is the lates. Um, I see I failed to put a space in there. All right, so L-E-T-S, lates. The Hebrew noun lates is our noun for the scoffer. It's used 16 times, most of them in the Proverbs. Strong's number is 3887. And the scoffer is, uh, is like a step beyond the fool. The scoffer is um, like a super fool, <laughs> a hyper fool. The scoffer is, um, he embraces his foolishness. He takes great pride in his foolishness. He takes, uh, he's, he's so puffed up in his defiance of the Lord God that he's happy to know better than God knows. He's happy to be able to uh, mock those servants of the Lord and they're foolish to him, they think is the foolish allegiance to, to Bible doctrine. Like, oh, why do you still read that Bible? Oh, why do you still trust in that make-believe God? You know, why do you still, you know, uh, all these things. And, and this too is a, is a feature of our culture as we're surrounded by these, these uh, atheistic mockers uh, everywhere. Get rid of them. <laughs> okay, drive them out. Okay, drive them out. Now, where do we drive them out from? Can you kick them out of your family? Or is this talking in a, in a context related to the covenant people of God? So Israel can have an, a corporate application for their um, solemn occasions, for their feasts, for their festivals, for their temple observance, for their synagogues and, 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 and so forth. Under theocratic principles they would have the opportunity to drive them out of their uh, clans and tribes and nation conceivably. Drive them out. Um, obviously in the church age, what's our application in the church age? The local church. If, if a scoffer was to become a part of this assembly, and, and it's just, it's contention. It's, uh, it's strife. It's, it's the top thing that God hates. The one that uh, creates strife among the brethren. Why are you even here? If you're not contributing to the needs of the saints, if you're just here to tear everybody down, then you're not building one another up. Why are you in defiance of the Word of God? And we're going to go to you one-on-one, we're going to go to you two or three, we're going to, go, we're going to tell it to the whole assembly. And if you're still not repenting, what are we going to do? You're out of here. Go find, you know, cause trouble somewhere else. Okay? We're shaking dust off our feet and kicking you out of here. Alright, so this is the lates. Um, the scoffer has no place with the humble body of disciples. It's actually the antithesis of humility. 
used 16 times in the Hebrew text, once in the Psalms, once in Isaiah, and then 14 times in Proverbs. In fact, it opens up the book of Psalms. Psalm 1-1. It is the, it's like the introductory verse to the entire uh, Psalter, the entire book of Psalms. Again, it's a verse on happiness. How happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of lates. These lates guys. Okay? Notice the progression from walking to standing to sitting down. (laughs) You ever think about that? From walking to standing to sitting down. Understand that there is a progression and you get mired in it. And you get mired in it the longer you're in it. And the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're flat sitting there. Okay? You are absolutely sitting there and you're not going to budge. So uh, walking, standing, sitting. The counsel of the wicked, the path of sinners, the seat of scoffers. And the scoffers, this is the this is the object of our proverb today. That the scoffer, if you got a scoffer in your midst, okay, and I mean, he's a brother, he names the name of Christ, that's the worst scoffer of all, because he should know better. Okay? He's had, uh, he's had some teaching, oh, now you're in trouble. And uh, he, maybe he's had decades of teaching. Maybe he's, he's sat under pastors better than you. And, uh, oh, the colonel didn't teach it this way. All right. Now, wait, okay, here we go. <laughs> So uh, scoffers, ask yourself, are you humble? Do you know what the word, I mean, are you humble under the teaching of the word of God? Or are you a lates? Okay, are you what the Hebrew calls the lates? So there it is. There's our introduction to scoffing in uh, Psalm 1-1. And uh, we got to be, we got to be, we can't be sitting in that seat. We can't be walking on that path. We can't be standing in that council. Uh, if we're going to be happy, his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water. And so this is where we are if we're in the word of God, if we're walking in the light, if we're humble under the authority of the word of God. We want nothing to do with that scoffer. In fact, he has to go, according to Proverbs 22. You had a question? What would you do with family then, I guess? <laughs> well, this is not a family context, all right? So... Uh, the family dynamic is something else. So, and it depends on, uh, you know, culture and family practices and traditions and whatnot. Uh, families choose to do different things. You know, families, clans, and tribes choose to do different things. All right. Isaiah is an interesting usage. 2920. And uh, uh, we'll just pick it up here. Um, Isaiah 29, starting in verse 17. Is it not uh, yet just a little while before Lebanon will be turned into a fertile field and the fertile field will be considered as a forest? Like everything is backwards, everything is changed, everything is different. In fact, everything is wildly different. Lebanon was famous for their forests, for their trees, and now it's, now it's a fertile field. Where did the trees go? And then the fertile field 
now there's a forest there? How did that happen? Everything's different. On that day, the deaf will hear the words of a book. How's that going to happen? Out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. How's that going to happen? The afflicted also will increase their gladness in the Lord. And the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Well, this sounds like an exciting time. I can't wait. When will the, uh, the meek inherit the earth? When's this going to happen? And are we going to make it happen through our own human effort? Can we bring in the kingdom? Can we make this world a better place? What else is going to happen on this day? The ruthless will come to an end and the scorner will be finished. And I believe that's our lates right there. It is. The ruthless will come to an end and the scorner will be finished. Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off. It comes down to the heart of evil. In fact, the first thing Jesus does after he conquers, he executes every unbeliever that survives the tribulation. You know, there won't be many, but however many unbelievers survive the tribulation, the sheep and the goats are brought before him. The goats are the unbelievers and they're going to hell. It's only the sheep that are entering into the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's the Gentile world judgment. He also separates out Jewish unbelievers. That's a, a private judgment in the wilderness of Ezekiel chapter 20 where he purges the rebels from among the, the remnant of Israel. Anyway, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off, who cause a person to be indicted by a word and ensnare him who adjudicates at the gate and defraud the one in the right with meaningless arguments. That sounds like our government today. <laughs> that sounds like politics today. And it's described as the activity of the ruthless and the scorner. The ruthless and the scoffer. Those that are intent on doing evil. We're going to see this when we get to Noah's flood. We're going to see the, the spiritual wickedness that, that saturated planet earth in Noah's day. That every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And when you know it, as it was in the days of Noah, here we go again. Okay? <laughs> and you start to wonder, I don't want to tempt the Lord and I don't want to say how much worse can it get because uh, that's just, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say that out loud. But the, um, it's, we are in the days of Noah, even now. All right. And then 14 times in Proverbs. Look how many times we've already covered. By the time we get to uh, chapter 22... 22.10 is the penultimate use. There's only one more remaining after 22.10 where we are today, and that's 24.9. So we've, we've actually seen a dozen, 12 out of the 14 usages already. Our text today is the 13th, and then one more coming up is uh, the 14th use. But how long, Pethy, O naive ones? Remember we studied Pethy? Um, how long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? You know, if you're a kid, if you're an infant, if you're a toddler, you know, we get that. Kids are stupid. They've got to grow up. They've got to learn. And, uh, but if you're still acting like a two-year-old when you're 22, that's not good. Okay? How long, oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded minded, and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? 
So you see the progression and you see that uh, this is more than a fool. This is somebody that's just delighting in the, not in the Word of God, delighting in the scoffing. Delighting in knowing better than God. So turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. And this is what God does. Wisdom reproves the scoffer. Human beings can often be hated if if you reprove the scoffer. And we're even warned that uh, reproving the scoffer may result in us getting getting it's like pearls before swine and we may get we may suffer for it so there may be occasions that we are led not to 334 though he scoffs at the scoffers yet he gives grace to the afflicted you know this is uh this is the basis for um the new testament where he's opposed to the proud he gives grace to the humble it's actually more uh vivid from the hebrew he scoffs at the scoffers God actually does a lates activity himself, where he decides where God himself will lates the lates, right? Or whatever the verb is for, for lates, I forget, latza or something. But he will, he will uh, scoff at the scoffer. This is the, again, the, the principle of divine judgment where what he assigns to them is the consequence that should be instructive. It should instruct, well, I've been a scoffer. And, and if God scoffs at me enough, it should wake me up to say, wow, why is God scoffing at me? Oh, I guess I'm a scoffer. I need to stop scoffing. <laughs> Yet he gives grace to the afflicted. That's Proverbs 3.34. Proverbs 9, 7, and 8. This is why we have to be cautious and just get ready. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. And he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. And then we're, we're told, do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. So does this, does this mean we just ignore the scoffer and let him do his own thing? Obviously not. It doesn't say don't do it, but just be ready for the consequences. And praise God <laughs> if after he's done hating you for whatever season, he actually does come to the point of repentance and he actually does turn to wisdom. And then it might be the same person doing both halves of this verse, just over whatever length of time you're willing to, uh, willing to uh, go through that process with him. Proverbs 13.1 A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Again, there's a parallel, right? Now remember, this is now in, this is not in chapters 1 through 9, this is in chapter 13. This is in the, the uh, 10 through 24 section where we're talking to adults here. This is not a, a, a juvenile, this is not a youth, this is not somebody still living at home, this is an adult son who either falls into the wise son category or he falls into the scoffer category. And there is still discipline and a rebuke. 14.6 A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. Isn't this interesting? Because and we discussed this when we were in chapter 14. Why does a scoffer seek wisdom? 
you'd think, if you're a scoffer, what do you care? Well, there's other kinds of wisdom that are out there. And the desire to make one wise, isn't that why Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? She saw that it would look good, that it was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. The carnally minded human being still um, has a desire for wisdom and of some form or another. And even if they're rejecting God's wisdom, they're still, we're in the image of God, there's, there's some facet of our soul that's orientated towards wisdom, and we want to acquire it. And so if Satan offers us a counterfeit wisdom, the wisdom from below, the wisdom that's earthly, natural, demonic, you bet an earthly, natural, demonic mind's going to grab that up in a heartbeat because it's going to appear to be wise, even though to God it's foolishness. So a scoffer seeks wisdom. Of course, he doesn't get to God's wisdom. But knowledge is easy to the one who has understanding. And uh, that's why the, the beginning of wisdom is, is the fear of the Lord. And, and uh, to acquire wisdom is to acquire wisdom and to gain understanding. And it's easy. It's simple. Just humble yourself before the Lord. Walk in the fear of the Lord. He'll teach you the wisdom you need. It's as simple as that. And he's always been doing, notice this is not a New Testament text. This is not written to believers with the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to believers that have a spiritual gift, to believers that are baptized into union with Jesus Christ. None of that. This is written to Old Testament saints. Whereby knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. If you want to walk in the light and live in the Word, this is what it's about. And uh, Proverbs makes that clear. Proverbs 15, 12. Whoops. Typo. 15, 12. What am I doing wrong? 15, 12. There we go. A scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. A scoffer does not love one who reproves him. Well, that's fine. (laughs) I don't care if they love me. I just want them to pay attention to what I'm saying. You know? I'm sure God's the same way in the sense that uh, discipline doesn't seem to be pleasant at the time. It's only afterwards when you've been corrected by it. It's only afterwards with hindsight that you can look back and identify the benefit. Then you can love and appreciate and be thankful for uh, the one who gave the reproof. But at the moment that it's happening, it doesn't seem to be pleasant. So I think this is in great uh, agreement with Hebrews 12 there. A scoffer does not love one who reproves him, he will not go to the wise. Isn't it interesting that believers in carnality, believers in darkness, believers that are so hostile to the Word of God, they'll go anywhere but the Word of God to find happiness, to find answers to their problems, to find a solution, to find whatever. They'll consider the unthinkable. The unthinkable then becomes very thinkable, becomes the only thing they think about. Because they won't go to the Word of God. They just keep dwelling in the satanic darkness. Because they know if they go to the wise, they're going to get reproved. <laughs> if they go to the Word of God, it's going to, it's going to kick them in the head and say, quit being carnal. Confess your sins, be restored to fellowship, walk in the light, grow in the Word of God. 
they already know what, what God's going to say. They know what the pastor's going to say. They know what the parents are going to say. They know, I mean, and so they don't want to hear it. That's Proverbs 15, 12. Proverbs 19, 25. Oh, I see what's happening. I'm, my fat fingers are typing wrong. Sometimes if you, uh, if you beat the fool, <laughs> um, if you strike the scoffer, somebody else actually can benefit from that. Strike a scoffer and pethy, the naive, may become shrewd. I'm pretty sure that's pethy there. Yeah. The simple. Strike a scoffer and the simple may become shrewd. Somebody else might benefit from that person's corporate discipline. But reprove the one who has understanding and he will gain knowledge. So the one with understanding, a reproof, a rebuke, a, a word of correction and and man, they're going to they're gonna grab onto that. They're going to be humble before that reproof and they're going to learn from it and they're going to apply and there's, uh, there's benefit there. But the scoffer and uh, who's already not listened to the reproof and now you're striking him. See, understand that the, 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 the physical striking, the physical administration of, of, of physical pain, and we discussed this before, it's, it's not just for children biblically. It starts in childhood. That's why you, you apply the rod to the, to the backside. It starts there. But biblically speaking, in the ancient world and in the, even the modern world up to, up to colonial times and, and even after, thereafter, the military still had lashes. Uh, there were still the stocks. There was still the, the, the uh, public square uh, Corporal discipline, corporal, bodily. And in, in many parts of the world it still happens. The Muslim world still executes it. Malaysia still executes it. Remember the knucklehead with the, the spray paint in Singapore? Okay, and he got caned. The Singapore government caned his, his backside. And he's never done it again. <laughs> you know? Never done it again. Anyway, our culture has done away with that in, um, for different reasons. Am I advocating bringing this back? I, you know, I've thought about it. <laughs> um, you know, it's not unbiblical. It's not cruel and unusual punishment as far as the founding fathers were concerned because they did it. George Washington had a man um, uh, it was a homosexual they caught in the army and he, he received the lash. Anyway. See that's why our founding fathers are hated today by the, the woke contingent because they were uh, homophobic, racist, sexist, slavers, whatever else. Anyway. It might not be the scoffer that learns. It might be somebody else besides the scoffer that learns. You know, anybody else do the spray paint routine after that one kid got the cane? No. They learn. Set the example. Uh, same proverb, same chapter, getting down to verse 29. Judgments are prepared for scoffers and blows for the back of fools. Blows for the back of fools. 
chapter 20. Next verse down. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. And this is, uh, I think it's the mocker word there is, yeah, is the lates. Scoffer or mocker. Wine. Understanding that under the influence when you're intoxicated you, you have a, an outlook that you wouldn't have when you're sober. You have uh, an attitude, you have a perspective, you have a, um, a thought process and a verbal process that goes with being drunk, including scoffing and mocking and whatever else. 2111. What, uh, almost identical to what we saw in chapter 19. When the scoffer is punished, the naive become wise. When the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. Verse 14 of the same chapter. A gift in secret subdues anger. Oh, I don't think that's it. No, I don't think that's it. 21.11 is it. The scoffer. 24? Okay. Thank you. There it is. Proud, haughty scoffer are his names who acts with insolent pride. Thank you for that. All right, and then 2210 is our chapter today, 24.9, the last one. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. The scoffer is an abomination to men. I mean, besides, obviously, in the spiritual realm, obviously living in defiance of God, living in utter rejection of the Word of God, there's even an aspect of this personality that, that other human beings find um, irritating. <laughs> you know? I mean, know-it-alls are highly um, obnoxious to those of us who really do know it all. Okay? That's the, you know, uh, to your fellow know-it-alls, to your fellow scoffers. They don't have time for your scoffing. They want to do their own scoffing. Okay? And so it, it's kind of a, an amusing little um, commentary on, on carnal humanity. Um, maybe amusing is the wrong term, but um, anyway, the scoffer is an abomination to men. All right, yeah, one who plans to do evil, men will call him a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. So we'll have that coming up in chapter 24. All right, so drive him out, get him out of here. It will benefit the congregation when he's gone. And uh, what uh, Pastor John Hintz calls the blessed subtractions. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, you know, the, the departure of the scoffer and with the hindsight looking back, it was like, wow. You know, and, and, and a church that goes through a split and folks leave and whatever and the other thing. And, but then it's kind of curious for the remnant that stays faithful to doctrine, for the remnant that, that makes the Word of God their number one priority, there can be a, 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 um, a time of, of refreshment, a time of intimacy, a time of relief, a time of, of um, just hard to put into words maybe, but um, the departure of the scoffer benefits the ones that are, that are remaining. Okay? 
I think Paul spoke about this when he said, you know, they went out from us, they were not of us. Uh, it, it's Factions must appear and it's necessary so that those who are approved may become evident among you. That the reason why God permits those schisms and He per- permits those factions and when you do remove the faction or they remove themselves, then it, it, it's an evidentiary hearing that allows for the the approved to be manifest, to be evident. So there's uh, there's benefits and principles there as well. All right, you know what I'm talking about in First uh, Corinthians when Paul's talking about I hear that there are factions among you, and in part I believe it, and then he says it is necessary. It is necessary. All right, um, we won't have time to look at this, so we'll save this for next week. Uh, verse 11, 12, and 13. So he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. So yeah, when we get back to Proverbs twenty-two eleven, he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. Ideally, this is the, the, kind of, the best kind of friend a king could have. This is, this is the Jonathan that could have been David's best friend as king had he lived long enough, right? Um, if, if, if the king is righteous, these are the kind of friends that he surrounds himself with. So we'll talk about this. And under what conditions does this not get applied? Under what kind of conditions does a wicked king assemble wicked friends? Wicked counselors attach themselves to the wicked king. Uh, we had the Rehoboam reading this week with after the death of Solomon and and Rehoboam wouldn't listen to the older advisors. He would listen to the younger advisors. The, the, uh, and, and they gave him bad advice. And they were going to make it even more harsh on, on Judah, with a, on Israel, with a higher taxation and, and the issues there. Ultimately, though, this is a picture of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to see the kind of king he is in the description of Jesus Christ in, in Psalm 45. Because uh, this is him. All right. So Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the blessing that we have to assemble together. And Father, I pray um, for, for Doug and others that, that aren't able to be with us today. You, know, you understand what the physical health issues are that so many folks are going through. Father, I thank you for the YouTube streaming for folks that can still attend remotely, even if they're not uh, available to be here in person. And uh, just rejoice in your faithful provision, Father calling upon you to keep us humble in your word, to keep us uh, to where we're not, we're not fools, we're not pethy, we're not mockers, we're not scoffers. Father, we want to be humble before you. Uh, so keep us in the fear of the Lord, Father, with the reverence that, uh, that your sovereign majesty demands. We thank you, we praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.